0: God the Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So I know we're supposed to have a heavy uh, mood here this evening, but um, I always know we know the rest of the story, so it's difficult for me to do that sometimes. But that doesn't mean I won't get emotional on you at some point um, in any given time. Monday, Thursday. I like to point out at this time of the year that um, I I think I was about 12 by the time I figured out that it wasn't actually Monday, Thursday that people were telling me. I said, what's Monday, Thursday? He said, well, that's the night we celebrate the Last Supper. And I was like, well, why don't we just say that then? Why don't we call it that? So, all right. So, see, the celebration had taken place since the time of Moses that Josh was reading about just a moment ago. But now I want to talk tonight about God connecting some dots for us. See, what I find in the Bible sometimes are... Um, and I'll take this the wrong way, but sometimes I see some breadcrumbs just laying out there for us to pick up and some dots for us to put together and see God's amazing glory and see his amazing grace and just the things that he puts together and how he has laid it all out like this beautiful artist or this beautiful musician. So how did this whole thing start and why? It's a question we're gonna to answer tonight, and really what does it mean to us? Why do we gather together on Monday, Thursday every year, you know, the Thursday before Easter or after Palm Sunday. So get a little bit of the back story. Okay, so The Hebrew nation started with a guy named Abraham. Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a couple of kids. One of them was named Jacob. Um, God changed Jacob's name from Jacob to Israel. That's a whole other story we'll talk about another time. But long story short, Jacob had 12 sons. One of them is named Joseph. Um, Joseph was Jacob's favorite son and because of that his 11 other brothers hated him for it. Again, long story short, they decided to sell him into slavery. Joseph got taken into Egypt. Another long story told short, he got thrown in jail, and then one day he found himself in the service of the Pharaoh. Joseph was there at a time when God revealed some, dreams, some of Pharaoh's dreams to him. Um, Joseph realized that there was going to be seven years of bumper crops, more grain and more uh, produce than they could possibly ever handle. But then that was going to be followed by seven years of really bad famine. So through Joseph, God saved Egypt and that part of the country. So now, when Joseph did that, and he was so successful, the Pharaoh found out that Joseph had some family still back there in the land of Canaan. And that was still under um, extreme famine and extreme drought. And so the Pharaoh said, you've got to move all your family here. He said, not only am I going to do that, but I'm going to put you in the land of Goshen. That's the best land that we have. It's still actually some of the most fertile land that we have on the planet. It's the bottom of the Nile Delta. Take a look at it here on this map. This is the area called Goshen. You can see that's a satellite map. You can see how green that is compared to everything else around it. Well, that's where the Pharaoh put Joseph and his family. Again, another long story short, they stayed there for a long time, and they started to grow and started to become a great nation. So great, in fact, that now a pharaoh comes along that didn't know Joseph, is how scripture says it. And they started to fear that if the Hebrew nation went with some of their enemies, some of Egypt's enemies, they were afraid that they were going to conquer them and then uh, they didn't know what they were going to do. So they said the logical thing to do is to put them into slavery. So they put them into slavery for a while. So part of the reason that they did that is because um, the, uh, the Hebrew people got very comfortable there in Goshen. Beautiful land, great place to be, and they had no intention of moving. But God said, well, here's the thing. This, this isn't the promised land that I have told your fathers about, that I told Abraham about, that I told Jacob about, that I told Isaac about. That's not the promised land. That's not the land of Canaan. So I don't want you there comfortable. So he put them, he allowed them to go into slavery. For 400 years they were in there. And then they cried out and they said, Lord, how long will you keep us here? How long will we be here? How long will you forget about us? And God looked at them and he said, I haven't forgotten anybody. I haven't forgotten anything. But I'm glad I have your attention now, and maybe we can start to get to work. Cue the man named Moses, who we heard about a moment ago as well. Moses comes along, and again, another long story told short, he sees this burning bush. And he says, I must turn aside, and I must pay attention, and go to see what this bush is about. God speaks to him through that bush. He says, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let his people go, to let God's people go. Moses asks a bunch of questions, tries to pawn it off on somebody else, but God says, you're the one that I want to go do it. So Joseph goes and talks to Pharaoh, very reasonably. says, let God's people go. Pharaoh said, he said a couple things. He said, no, I'm not going to let your people go, these people go. And then he said, I don't even know this God that you're talking about. And I think at that point, God rolled up his sleeves a little bit and said, allow me to introduce myself to you, which he does, in the form of some plagues that go on in Egypt. Every time one of these plagues comes along, Pharaoh begs Moses to have his God remove the plague. When Moses did. does. Pharaoh promises to let them go. As soon as Moses does and God removes the plague, Pharaoh says, yeah, I'm not going to let you go. So then an interesting thing happens in these plagues, though, with God's people. See, they lived in this area called Goshen, right? And so the plagues are very well described in, in each, each of them when each of them goes into great detail. One of the details that some of them, not all of them, some of them are implied, but the details that they go into is that the people in Goshen weren't affected by those plagues. Take, for example, the one with insects. It says that that Egypt was laid to waste by these insects, kind of grasshopper things that went through and very much ate everything and and made a waste waste of everything. But then, uh, this is chapter 8, Exodus chapter 8, verse 22, it says this, God says this, But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen, where my people are living, so that no swarms of flies will be there in order that you may know that I, the Lord, am in the midst of the land. So we see that theme reoccurring each time with these plagues. Hail fell on Egypt. God describes it as hail that the earth has never seen before. It's going to fall on Egypt. It ruined the crops. It, ruined, it killed animals. It killed people. But that hail didn't fall on Goshen because that's where God's people are. Another one says that there was darkness have you ever read this? It says that it was so dark you could feel it. I'm not sure exactly what that means, but man, that must be dark. But it wasn't dark in the land of Goshen. It was so dark in Egypt that when they lit lamps and lit candles and things, that you still couldn't even see the light. That's how dark it was, and somehow you could feel it. I don't know what that means, but I love that poetry that it says there. So then we, get this, we go on with these plagues, and each time Pharaoh... Begs Moses to have God remove it. And then he will let those people go and reneges every time. And then God says, okay, enough is enough. And that's what we talk about on this night. God says to Moses, go tell Pharaoh that the firstborn in every household will die this night. He says, but the Israelites are going to be spared. But only if they take a lamb sacrifice that lamb, as we saw a moment ago, heard a moment ago, on how to cook it and which, how many, how many uh, lambs or goats to take. But then one was to take the blood of that animal <clears throat> and paint it over the doorposts of their house. And then the angel of death, it says, will pass over that house and not harm the people that are inside. The blood of the lamb took the place of the ones inside who should have died. You're with me so far, Right? You've heard this up to this point, I hope. Now that word Passover, and that's what the that's how we translate it. It's a Hebrew word that um, actually it's not. It doesn't even look like a Hebrew word. It's a difficult word to 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 translate into even into Hebrew. There's no other Hebrew word like it. In fact, it's closer to an Egyptian word, which kind of makes sense because they'd been in Egypt for so long, they may have adopted that word. But it's an Egyptian word that means to protect. So we think of Passover as something that's just moving over the top or moving aside or avoiding something. But that's not what it means. It means to protect something. And then when we took it from Hebrew and put it in the Septuagint and moved it into Greek, um, they used the Greek word of protection that a mother hen uses. You, know, you may have seen this. I mean, in the past years I've shown you pictures of this where a mother hen is holding up her wing and her baby chicks are underneath her to protect them from the rain. Right? Because if those baby chicks get rain on them, they get a thing called, like, we get pneumonia, and they're very susceptible to it. So that mother hen is That's the Passover. That's Passover right there. That's protection right there. So God told Moses, we're going to reset everything on this night. If you were listening carefully, you heard that now this month is the first month of the year. And we're going to start all over again. We're starting anew right here. This is the day that we're going to blitz out of Egypt and everything is going to go from here. The 10th of Nisan is when we pick those lambs. The 14th of Nisan today just happens to be the 14th. But it's the 14th of Nisan is going to be the day that we're going to celebrate this Passover. So it's kind of special today that we're doing it right now. And God says we're going to do this every year to remind ourselves what happened here and what we've gone through and what we're going into that we are going into that newness, that, that new, fresh thing. Now, I've mentioned to you uh, several times that the Hebrew language is what we call a picture language. Uh, when, we see, when we hear words in Hebrew, we're supposed to get pictures painted in our minds. When we see, hear that word Passover, we're supposed to get the idea of a mother hen protecting their young, things like that. So not only the words in Hebrew are a picture language, but the actual letters in the Hebrew alphabet started out as pictures. So it's a very picturesque language. So when the Hebrews went and they painted the blood of the lamb on the doorpost, they actually formed a Hebrew letter. They actually made a Hebrew letter over the door. And the Hebrew letter looks like this. This is the Hebrew letter, Chet. You've got to say in the back of your throat. Chet. I paid people good money to teach me how to say that and make fun of me when I couldn't do it, right? So when they painted it over the door, it ended up looking like the Hebrew letter Chet. Here's another look at it that might give us a better picture of how it actually may have looked at some point. It's an artist's rendition of an idea. But that's the Hebrews painting the letter Chet over the doorway. Okay, cool, right? But like I say, encourage our youth group kids to ask, okay, so what? It sounds really cool and it's really neat, but how does that work and why, you know, are you telling me this? Now, simply looking at that letter, um, it has more symbolism and it represents um, more, I'm serious about this now, more than we have time to unpack tonight. I'm just going to give you some highlights of what this letter represents and, and how it works into the whole story. Again, the crumbs that God has laid out for us and the dots that God has laid out for us to connect so let's just dip into it, maybe in, um, maybe a little more than wet our appetite. Okay, so not only, you can take that off here, not along, along with the position um, these letters have in the alphabet, they also have a numerical value behind them. So every Hebrew letter has a numerical value behind them. And so in, in, Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, numbers mean um, significant things. Not so much in the English language, but it's not uh, only in, in the Hebrew language. Uh, for example, in, in Japan, we lived in Japan for about six years, and if you go to buy a set of dishes or a set of silver or something like that in the United States at Target wherever, you're going to find those uh, to be in sets of four, you know, a place setting of four, right? Well, in Japan, you can't find a place setting of four because the, the number four is associated with death in Japan. So every place setting that you're going to buy is going to have five pieces in it, not four. So there are many languages and many cultures that have similar things to this. So now, the, uh, the het is the eighth letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Het, the no, eight, and, and I'm just going to keep trying to say het instead of trying to do that every time. Uh, the number eight and het, the same, they work together. They represent a couple of different things. And, it, and, and God talked about it. He told Moses about it. So this stuff isn't a coincidence. See, all these things work together. Het, number eight, means, like I said, four in Japan, in Japanese, means, means death. Well, eight in Hebrew means life. And not only life, it means new life. And it also means new beginnings. So is it any coincidence that the Hebrews were writing the, or drawing the letter het over the door when God said, this is a new beginning for us all. This is new life. This is life at its finest. This is, this is life over the death that's going to be experienced here if we don't go forward with this. Up to that point, remember, though, that God had just protected Goshen, just protected them because they were his people. But now he said, it's going to be a different story now. We're changing the script, and I want you to do this. And this is why I want you to do it. To protect that life, to give us new life, to give us a new beginning. God told Moses that at that first Passover meal, we're going to start over, we're going to start new again. Number eight also means completeness. But more than that, sometimes we look at the number seven in the Bible, and it's a very biblical number. We say that all the time. You know, when, when we lived in Japan, we lived on the seventh floor. We said, wow, that's very biblical. We live on the seventh floor. But seven isn't always the completion of it. Seven days in a week, mm-hmm. yeah, but it occurs in nature as well. Right? It occurs in music. Where's Kelly? It occurs in music, right? A musical scale has seven notes, right? But is it, is it complete, those seven notes. If I play seven notes of a scale, I played seven notes, right? But if I don't play that last note, and I'll take your donations right now to play it, we'd all go home a little uncomfortable, right? So eight, not only in a musical scale, but in the Hebrew language, means one beyond It means fullness. It means completeness. Right? We see it all over in the world, and sometimes we don't see exactly what we're looking at. We just accept things for the way they are. Ever seen the infinity symbol? You know what? It's it's an eight on its side. Cue the slide. I don't have one of those, huh? Oh, wait. Please hold. And, and, And vamp a little bit. All right. The infinity symbol is an eight on its side. Much like this blank screen that we're looking at right now. (laughs) What could possibly go wrong? Again, means one beyond. Infinity means one more, right? So that's that's what we're talking about with number eight. We're talking about completeness. We're talking about one beyond. Okay, so I don't want to lose focus about what we're talking about here and why we're talking about it. There it is. Number eight on its side, infinity, that never ending loop. But I don't want to lose focus again. I don't want to lose what we're talking about here. God instructs his people. <clears throat> God instructs his people to paint that letter Het over the doorway. And again, we should mention again that up to this point God protected his own people there in Goshen. I want you to understand that the number eight, the letter het, represents life. Not only life, but new life. It represents one beyond. And then the significance we should be maybe asking in our heads is beyond what? One beyond what? Well, for starters, for God, for starters, one beyond a normal relationship. The letter het can also represent a covenant, which goes well beyond, more than one beyond, well beyond a normal relationship. That's a covenant where we make a contract with one another. And we renew that all the time. In that first Passover moment, God says we're starting fresh. We're starting new again. He says, I am making a covenant with you that we're going to go one beyond. We'll see how that plays out later on in the book of Exodus, maybe some other time. But God says, I'm going to create a new covenant with you, the Mosaic covenant. Let's look at that letter, Het one more time. So it doesn't represent a door. right? God didn't say, paint this on the door. Right? He said, paint it on the doorway. So, het, it even looks like a doorway. right? He doesn't say door. God doesn't say doors keep us out. right? Doorways invite us in and give us access to what's on the other side. Jesus, connecting a few dots for us, oftentimes, many times, said, I am the door, as he did in John 10, chapter or verse 9. He said, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I am the door. I am the het that leads to life, that leads to covenant, that leads to one beyond. Kind of parenthetically, it's a tough translation for that word pasture. There, pasture um, means more like we see it in Psalm 23, not green pastures, but Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's pasture, I shall not want because God has fulfilled me, He's fulfilled my soul, He's fulfilled my spirit. I will be blessed, which means to be completely satisfied. If anyone enters through me, he will have his spirit filled, his soul filled, will be complete, will be satisfied, will go one beyond. See, now remember how I said the number, I mean, het represents or goes along with the number eight. I know I've given you a lot tonight. Hopefully. Hopefully, you can remember some of the things I've told you and what it represents. Maybe you're taking some notes. Maybe go back and watch it again another time. Either way, if you only remember one thing, here it is. The hat and the number eight also represent God's grace. In the grace of God, here we are in the middle of Holy Week, the grace of God will be played out here this evening, tomorrow, Easter Sunday. So now fast forward 1,500 years from Moses, and we imagine the disciples sitting there sharing the Passover meal with Jesus. Jesus. And as they're sitting there, part of that seder meal is imagining that het on the doorway outside where they're sitting, where they're eating. And they would have no better idea about it than we do, to be completely honest with you. They have an awareness of it. But Jesus lays it out for them, and then he lays it out for us. Exactly where God has been going all along this whole time. Because check it out. We, again, we fast forward here. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is sitting with his disciples enjoying this Passover meal. There's this strict script to the Passover meal. Jesus turns the whole thing upside down, shakes the whole thing out, and we just take a look at it all laying around on the floor. And the disciples had to be thinking, what is going on right now? But Jesus starts talking about and starts connecting some of those dots, he starts talking about new life. He starts talking about a new covenant. He starts talking about God's amazing grace. And Jesus is the door. On the other side of that door, the door that leads from death into life, The doorway that leads from death into life. When we receive Christ, and only when we receive Christ, we receive a new life in Christ. When we receive Christ, we enter into a new covenant with God. We're going to hear those words here in a minute that new covenant. We receive the promise of forgiveness of our sins because what? Of God's grace and because of God's mercy. Because of God's grace and because of God's mercy that came in the form of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. What we're going to do now is we're going to confess what we believe in the words of the Apostles' Creed. So would you please stand with me?